Merry Christmas, everybody. Good morning. You can make your way in from the back and take a seat. We'll go ahead and get started. Good to hear the sound of talking. You guys seem to have a sense of relaxation about you. So let's go ahead and start with the reading of God's word. This comes from Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. At the ends of the earth have seen the Lord, uh, have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for you sending your son. We're thankful for the new life that we have as a result. Thank you for this, this day that we can remember uh, the gift that you've given us. We can fellowship with those around us and spe spe the special emphasis on um, the grace and the gift that you've provided to us. Pray that that would be the first and foremost thing on our minds today and throughout this week. And in your name we pray, amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. As you notice that the person speaking is not over there in the center of the stage. We're a little short-staffed this morning, as we found out, so you're going to have to bear with us just a little bit. Please stand. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glory. 
This is a song that we have sung a few times, but it has been a little while. Uh, so hopefully your memory is refreshed very quickly. of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son the drunk the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. The enemy you've made a friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace. Mercy and your kindness know no end. blood has washed away my sin jesus thank you the father's wrath completely satisfied jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table jesus thank you Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. 
Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Please be seated. We got Mike. Oh, we have Mike. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Greetings to the faithful gathered here on this continuing to be festive Christmas season, day after Christmas. You guys are here faithfully. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And all of you folks online, thank you for joining us as well. My lovely wife and daughter are at home not feeling too great. They will be watching. You guys better be watching. <clears throat> I'm sure they are. They said they would be. Um, so thanks, everybody, for being here. Um, announcements. Men, you are invited to the men's breakfast that will be held on Saturday, January 8th at 8 a.m. Come for a time of food, fellowship, faith, and fun. All the good Fs will be there that morning. Please see good old Al Maurer for more details. There's Al with the festive Christmas hat right there. For men's breakfast, you need to see Al. He will be the one with the details. A new member's class will begin on January 9th, 2022. This is for all those interested in becoming members of EFC Oroville. The dates of this three-week class will be January 9th, 16th, and the 23rd at 11 a.m. Please see one of the elders for more information. Our missionaries of the month for December are Russell and Sharla Weisner. Please pick up a prayer card in the missions corner today to remember to pray for them this month. That'd be in the corner of the foyer over there by the side door over there. Uh, if you want to designate a gift to the Wisners, just mark M-O-M for Missionary of the Month on the offering envelopes. Now, next Sunday, 
Don't forget, we are back to our normal time. That's January 2nd, so we have an extra day after New Year's to kind of get our rest, so we'll be ready to get back at our normal time. Uh, that would be 9 o'clock. I know we've been kind of enjoying the 10 o'clock hour, but we want to get back to our 11 o'clock fellowship as well. So 9 o'clock next week and discipleship hour at 11. Don't forget that the offering box is, as always, available at the back of the room, that beautiful silver box. Uh, if you want to designate your giving for any of the church ministries, please indicate that on the offering envelopes. Do we have offering envelopes out? Good. So the offering envelopes are there. Um, thank you, as always, for your faithful and generous giving to EFC. And you'll also notice that in your seats, as always, is our, our attendance sheets. If you could get those filled out and we can collect those up, that would be wonderful. Let us go ahead and switch gears into the Word of God. Uh, we're going to read from Revelations, uh, Revelation 4, 6 through 11. If you would be so kind as to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word, that would be wonderful. And the beautiful, true Word of God says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Thank you. You may be seated. A great reminder of one day we will all be joining the Lord in constant and eternal worship at the throne of God. Um, it just never ceases to amaze me. So let's go to prayer. Lord, as we stand at the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, we are reminded that time is in your hands. May you lead us to leave behind the burdens of the old year and prepare our hearts to serve you well in this new year. We confess our sins to you, Lord. We have not loved you as we should, served others as we should, and we have held back from trusting you completely. May the blood of Jesus cleanse us and your grace empower us to live for you and your kingdom. We pray for the new year and the ministry opportunities that come with it. May your hand strengthen and guide all of our activities so that Jesus is exalted and his people built up in faith during 2022. We pray for Orville Christian School as the new year begins. May the gospel be at the center of all that is done in each classroom and in every lesson. 
May the Lord open the eyes and hearts of the children to see and embrace the truth of Christ. We pray for those who are fighting fear, loneliness, and doubt. May the light of Christ shine upon them, and may they take hold of the hope we have in the Lord. May your truth, O Lord, conquer every fear and every wrong thought. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling with the cold, with homelessness, um, with many needs out there. Lord, we pr pray that you as Jehovah Jireh, the provider, that you would meet the needs of those that are in desperate need. We pray for those that cannot be with us this morning because they are ill, hospitalized, or homebound. May your touch, Lord, may you touch them with your mercy and your comforting grace. And may they feel connected to us through these online services. Lord, we pray that you would grant wisdom, strength, and unity to our pastors and elders as they shepherd the flock of the Evangelical Free Church. Guided by the Good Shepherd, may they serve well as under-shepherds to the saints here. And may the Lord bless the offering for this morning, bless all those who give and grant wisdom to our leaders as they steward these funds. May all these resources of the church be used for your glory and for the blessings of your people. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Greg this morning. We pray for the sermon as we finish the series on Christmas praises. May the joy of heaven be reflected in our worship and praise here on earth. And may the word be open to us and may our hearts be open to your word. Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, at this time, children can be dismissed. <clears throat> and if you would all please stand with me one more time. Thou dost leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thy babe left to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, oh, Jesus, there is room in my heart. Heaven's arches.
Please be seated. Good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's a joy to always be together in the house of the Lord, and I'm so thankful to be part of a body of believers that loves the Word of God and wants to hear the Word of God and submit to the Word of God and be changed by the Word of God, and so what a privilege that God would speak to us through his word and give us the opportunity to hear from him. Now here we are at the end of 2021. What a year. And I just want to say thank you. We've gone through some ups and downs this past year. There have been some trials. There have been some challenges. There have been some victories. There have been some frustrating days. But we have learned that the Lord is always faithful and good and provides and guides and grows and leads and we're blessed people. And so thank you for walking together during this year, walking with me this year and thanks to the Lord for guiding us. And a number of years ago, I was, I had the privilege of serving for a short time as I was preparing to go overseas. And it happened to be in an African-American church. And the pastor there just knew how to turn a phrase. And one day I greeted him, I said, Pastor, Brother, Brother Colbert, how is it going? And he says, life in the Lord is gooder and gooder. And I look forward to 2022, where life in the Lord will get gooder and gooder because our God is good. As you think about where you might be going with the Lord this next year, I want to remind you that it's now is a good time to think about what your Bible reading schedule is going to be. For several years, it has been my habit of reading through the Bible in a chronological manner, where it allows you to start from the beginning, and then as you walk through all the way to the end, but it splits it up so that you, you figure out where the kings and Solomon line up with what's happening in Genesis or what's happening in other places, and you get to see the Bible story unfold. And so if you would like to read along with me over this next year, there's a schedule out in the foyer that you can follow with the different passages you'll read through. For example, you'll read through initially the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then you'll jump to the book of Job, which was written about the same time, and you'll read about Job, and then it'll bring you back to Genesis. And, and it, you have a way of just seeing how it unfolded in time, chronologically, from beginning to end. And so if that's something that interests you, it'll be a sheet that looks like this. But you can also take this sheet, and you can go to the website, and you can put it on your phone. You can get the app and put it on your phone and check off every day. Uh, that you've read the Word of God in that way. So hopefully that's something that you will be a part of. Whatever you choose, get on a good reading schedule that gets you in the Word of God every day. So that daily you're being fed by the Spirit of God through His Word 
uh, and you're being strengthened thereby. And in the past few years as I've been here, I've given a verse or I've been led to give a verse that it felt like would be our guiding verse for the year. So this past year was Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps as a reminder that we may want to plan and we think we know the way, but ultimately God is the one that guides all things. Well, this next year, what's really going to be forming my thinking and everything that we do is John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And everything that we will be doing over this next year will be guided by the wisdom that comes from John 13, verses 34 and 35. Well, the great composer, Franz Joseph Hayden, was present at the Vienna Music Festival where his oratorio, The Creation, was being performed. Now, by this time, he was greatly weakened in age, and he had to sit in a wheelchair, and he would listen. And as the majestic work was being performed and moved along, the, the audience would get caught up in the enthusiasm. And when they reached the passage, and there was light, the chorus and the orchestra burst into such power that the crowd could no longer contain its enthusiasm. And so they rose in spontaneous applause. And though weakened and bound to a wheelchair, Hayden struggled to stand and motioned for silence. And he pointed his hand to the heavens and says, no, 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 not from me, but from thence comes all. And having given the glory and praise to the creator, he fell back down into his chair exhausted. He understood that true worship is that which is poured out at the feet of the one who is truly worthy of it. The great and glorious God of the universe who reigns forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's from behind some of the songs that we've been singing this morning. And we will conclude with a song that shouts praise to the one who alone is worthy of all praise. Well, today we're going to close out our series on Christmas praises. And over these five sermons, we've been looking at the response of the main characters surrounding the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ. We began with Zechariah, this priest who doubted the Lord's promise, had to remain silent for a while, but then when he confessed the Lord's promise, shouted out in praise. We saw Mary, the mother of Jesus, who recognized that God had chosen her to bear the Savior, who would ultimately be her Savior as well. We saw Simeon, this layman who persevered in faith that God would keep his promises. And he shouted out to God, the consolation of Israel, that he could die in peace because he had seen God keep his word. And on Christmas Eve, for those who were with us, we saw the angels who belted out in beautiful and bold harmony the birth of the Lord. Well, today we're going to look at the throngs of heaven and see the culmination and end result of the birth of Jesus Christ into the world so long ago. And so begin, perhaps we begin with a question this morning, well, what am I doing preaching a series on Christmas praises after Christmas? Well, it's because we're ignorant of church history. Because church history tells us that the traditional 12 days of Christmas actually begin on December 25th and continue until the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th, which is commemorated with the Magi who came to visit the Christ child, the first Gentiles that we have recorded who came to worship. 
So really, today's just the second day of Christmas. So you can continue to sing your song on the second day of Christmas. We could go on through all 12 days if you want. All right. That's from a historical point of view. But even more significantly, why we can have a sermon on Christmas praises is that we simply cannot isolate the birth of Christ from the rest of his ministry, neither in time nor in eternity. Because the fact remains that the crush of Bethlehem leads to the cross of Calvary, which ultimately leads to the crown of heaven. Jesus stepped out of eternity into space and time for a season so that he could live the perfectly righteous life that God required and die the only sacrificial death that God the Father could accept on behalf of those that Jesus Christ came to save. And so when his righteous life and his holy sacrifice was accepted, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he was coronated the crown of heaven. And thus this final part of our Christmas series leads as it were to heaven. And if it was appropriate to praise him at his birth, how much more so now that he is enthroned with the glories of heaven all around, where he is exalted and worshipped by the host of heaven and by the redeemed, and by the grace of God alone, we will join them one day. And so we practice here now what we will perform there forevermore. So may the Lord use this final sermon in this short series of Christmas praises to get us ready for that day. And so I invite you one more time in honor of God and his holy word to stand as I read our passage for this morning taken from Revelation chapter 5. And the inspired and ever truthful word of God says, And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Father, as we have read your word, would you give us understanding now as you banish distractions from our hearts and minds, causing us to focus on you. Help us to catch a greater glimpse of your glory that we might worship you with purer hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We follow, as we follow along in our sermon outline, our first major point this morning is the unopened scroll. The unopened scroll. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were suffering persecution under the tyranny of the Roman emperors. And so John the Apostle, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, writes to them that there will be persecution, and believers will have to suffer for a season. But Christ is the victor, and he will win in the end. Therefore, strengthened by the truth that Jesus will win and that these saints will rule over the new heavens and the new earth forever, believers can stand firm in the midst of trial and tribulation and proclaim the truth of the gospel. Because even if they die in the Lord, they will live forever. And this message has encouraged believers in every generation because every generation has known or will know a measure of persecution and tribulation. 2,000 years of church history tell us that persecution is the norm. It is what is expected for believers. And if we have been privileged to not have a season of persecution, it is because of God's mercy. Because even today as we gather peacefully in this place, our brothers and sisters around the world at times cower in fear as they gather privately and quietly to worship the Lord. But they do so because they know that there is one who rules in heaven and he is the ultimate victorious one. And so we who are in Christ will join those who are already around the throne in heaven's great victory parade. Now, over the course of two chapters, chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, John records a number of hymns that are poured out to the Holy One and to His Son, who has redeemed a people for His own glory. The common theme of these hymns is that the Lamb is worthy, and that the throngs of heaven and the redeemed of the Lamb can muster all the praise, and still it must go on, because He who sits on the throne is worthy of eternal praise. And there are five such hymns scattered throughout these two chapters. And there's a growing crescendo of those who are participating in this great heavenly choir. In chapter 4, verse 8, we have the four living creatures who are worshiping the Lord. Two verses later in verse 10, the 24 elders bow down before the Lord. In chapter 5, verse 8, they're joining together. In chapter 5, verse 11, the myriads of angels join them. And then in 5.13, all of creation joins in the praise of the Lamb. We'll look at some of that as we move through the passage. So here we have the Apostle John, who has been suffering persecution and is used of God to instruct the people of God how to handle difficulty and persecution. And he's, he's allowed to glimpse at the glories of heaven and describe what he sees. And at times he can't explain with language that was known at the time. He has to stretch and strain the Greek language, even at times inventing words to create what he's seeing. It's so magnificent. It's so wonderful. But he sees the throne of God and the four living creatures who are surely a type of exalted angels. 
One of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation is to have a great understanding of the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament or is, is referred to indirectly through imagery over 1,900 times in the book of Revelation. And so if we're going to have an understanding of the book of Revelation, we need to understand the imagery that it comes from in the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 1, the four living creatures are seen as angels. And then we have the 24 elders who seem to be another group of angels. And we'll look at that in more detail as we move along. But somehow they represent God's redeemed people under the Old and the New Covenant. But they can't be the church because they're already sitting on thrones. And we know that those that are in Christ will sit on thrones later on as the new believers, are, as all believers will rule over the new heavens and the new earth. And so we have heavenly beings here involved in these first two groups, if you will, of those that are going to worship the Lord. And so we see the plan of God in verse 1. God the Father is sitting on the throne with a scroll in his right hand symbol of authority. The right hand is the symbol of power and authority. And the, the grammar implies that he's holding with an open hand, waiting for the one who would be worthy, who could come and take the, the scroll and open it. It's been sealed seven times, and the number seven comes up again and again in the book of Revelation as a sign of completeness or fullness or completion. And this scroll then is sealed until the one who is worthy is able to come and when the seal is opened, the fullness of God's plan is revealed. So there's writing on the front and the back, and imagery from the prophets tells us that this is the scroll, because we have the, the, the image of prophets and scrolls and writing and all that plays into it. This is a scroll that contains the plan of God for the ultimate redemption of the world and the judgments to come. It is God's divine decree of all that will happen in history. As one commentator says, it is God's redemptive plan for the final outcome of human history, the overthrow of evil, and the gathering of God's people to enjoy the blessings of God and His rule. So the scene is set. God the Father is on the throne. The holy plan is in His hand, waiting to be revealed as a word of comfort to the saints who are being persecuted. But what is the problem? Who is worthy? A mighty angel shouts out, who can open the seal? Who is able to open and read the divine, divine decree of God? It is clear that God the Father is not going to do it. And so he's waiting for one who is able, who is worthy. Because the secrets of the world belong to God. And no one can pry into them. Even the strong angels of God are not able to open the book. Only God can unseal the seals and read the secrets of men. And so as John looks around heaven, he gives the painful verdict. No one is worthy. No one is able to take the scroll. No one can open it. No one can read it. From all of creation, the cry goes out, who is worthy? And none is found worthy. And now we understand why it would take one who is equal in authority and power to God the Father who would be able to open the scroll. And who can do that except one who would be God himself? And then something amazing happens. As no one is found worthy, there is weeping in the presence of God. Normally in heaven there is, there is joy and worship and praise and thanksgiving. In fact, that's the hope that we have, that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So how can we have weeping in this 
vision. Because John in chapter 4 verse 1 had been told that he would be brought to heaven to see the plan unfold. And in great anticipation, he's waiting for the plan to be revealed, but no one is found worthy. And he, it's unthinkable in his mind that the plan of God would, would go unread and unrealized. And his desire to see God praised is, is being frustrated for a time. And so with holy tears, he weeps and says, why is, why is this not happening? This can't go on. But he knows that in order for the plan of God to be realized, it must first be revealed so that the saints can enter into the joy of it and worship the Lamb who is worthy. And so he weeps because there's an unopened scroll. But then we get to the next movement in the scene, the worthy one is found. And notice that there is a threefold division that, of creation where no one is found who is able to open the scroll. You see it in verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. Now, where do we see this type of language elsewhere in the scriptures? Well, I would commend to you Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, where Paul gives a great testimony about the majesty and glory of Jesus. And listen to what he says. Jesus, who had forced, who, he laid aside his majesty to come and live among us. He suffered and died, was buried, and he rose again. And then Paul says, therefore God has exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John and Paul see the same thing in this threefold division of creation. No one is able or worthy to open the scroll except one who will then receive the glory from that same threefold division of creation because he is Judah's lamb, Judah's lion and God's lamb. In verse 5, one of the elders speaks to John and says, don't cry. There's no reason to weep. There's no reason to, to experience frustration because one worthy has been found. And then notice the titles that he has given. He's the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. And this brings together two very important streams of thought in Old Testament prophecy. In Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10, as Jacob is giving the blessing to his sons, he said that the Messiah would rule one day and be given a scepter who would come from the tribe of Judah as a lion or as a cub of a lion from Judah. And this full expression, the line of the tribe of Judah, finds itself one time in the scriptures right here in Revelation 5. But the idea is found in different imagery in the Old Testament prophets. The Lion of Judah has appeared, and he is worthy to open the scroll. He is called the Root of David, and that comes from Isaiah 11, where a ruler would come from the Lion of David, bringing salvation and peace. And Jesus is from that Root. He is the Root of David. And so we see these two aspects of Jesus, who is the Lion of Judah and the Root of David. And how do they work? And how is he able to be worthy to open the scroll? Because he has conquered. The lion has conquered. But how has he conquered? And the verses that follow it shows that it was through the cross. And this is the great paradox of the Christian faith. That victory comes through suffering and death. 
That is why the cross is at the center of the Christian faith. It's at the center of human history. It should be at the center of our lives. We go to the cross that we might live. And we carry our cross that we might recognize the greatness of Christ who was slain. And then one day, we lay it all down at his feet. And we say, you are worthy. And we pour out all of our praise at his feet. He came to be the suffering Messiah. And through his suffering and death, he conquered sin and death and the devil. And that's why he is worthy. Because in the bigger picture of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus was the true son of God. The greater son of David. The perfect son of Jacob. And the ultimate blessing of Abraham. He has conquered Now, I know that there still has to be some battles in space and time that have to be won so that Jesus finally puts down all of his enemies. But those aspirations that the enemies have will be gasps in vain of trying to overthrow the lamb. They will be defeated because the ultimate Passover lamb has brought about the ultimate victory. And the threefold division of creation, which was not worthy to worship or to open the scroll, will worship Jesus because he is worthy. He has conquered at the cross. And because he has all authority and ability and privilege, then he gets the true worship and he can open the scroll. So now we have the worship of the triune God. Boy, there's some figurative language here that has perplexed scholars and Christians for 20 centuries. That's why there's a lot of different opinions on how to understand different aspects of the book of Revelation. And I make no pretense that I will give you the final answer on all of these things. I'm not smart enough, nor have I lived long enough. And I can't wait to get into Christ's presence where he gives each one of us a doctrinal correction and says, well, you were pretty close, but you missed it. But here's what's really happening. And then when we see it, we say, oh, God, that was, that was a good way of doing it. And we'll just praise him forever. But the angel here says in verse 6 that the lion has conquered. Or in verse 5, he has conquered. The lion has conquered. And what does John do? He turns and in verse 6, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. And there's something unique about this lamb in the book of Revelation because it involves the throne of God. And here he is standing in the presence of the throne of God along with the living creatures. In chapter 7, verse 17, he stands in the center of the throne of God. And in chapter 22, verse 1, he sits on the throne of God. John is struggling to understand how God can exist in Trinity and explain it in human words and show the deity of Jesus in comparison to the deity of the Father. But one thing is clear. Jesus is at the center of it all. And he's at the center of God's plan. And he should be at the center of your life. You know, we sang a few minutes ago, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. You bow the knee before Jesus and say, Yes, Lord, your will, not my will be done. You trust in him alone to save you and to secure you forever in his presence. He should be at the center. If he is able to sit in the throne of God and take from the right hand of God the decrees of God, then he deserves to be the ruler over your life and mine. But second, this lion is also the lamb. 
And this lamb has been slain, which is a clear reference to the cross. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God who who takes away the sin of the world. But now he is to be seen, as it were, as the warrior lamb. And where does that image come from? Well, in Jewish expectation in the period of time between the two testaments, there was the thought that the Messiah would be a warrior lamb who would come and defeat his enemies. And that's what they expected when the Messiah came in the first century. That the Messiah would come as a military victor to defeat his enemies. But here, Jesus fulfills both roles. When John the Baptist said that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, initially he thought in terms of the warrior lamb. That he would come and militarily conquer. And he had to learn, like the rest of the Jewish people of his day, that Jesus did come to take away the sin of the world by dying on a cross to redeem a people for God. But he will also return to take away the sin of the world by destroying his enemies once and for all and casting them into the lake of fire. He is the suffering servant who becomes the victorious warrior lamb. Now, there's much more that we could say. This is just a flyover in this text this morning. But now we get to this image of the four living creatures and the elders, and they're in the midst of the thrones of heaven, and we have seven horns, a symbol of strength, seven, a symbol of completion, complete strength, omnipotence. And we have the seven eyes and the seven spirits, and just for summary's sake this morning, we will say they refer to omnipresence. God sees everywhere the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And the seven spirits, according to the book of Zechariah, are the Holy Spirit of God. And so within the mention of the throne of God, we have the authority of the Lamb, the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit, and God the Father sitting on the throne. We have the whole Trinity involved in this scene. And we worship God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. A lot of theology coming at you this morning. I get it. That's why the book of Revelation entangles us as we try to get into it. But if we are called to love God fully as who we are, including with our minds, that means they have to stretch at times. We have to strive to understand what it is that God is trying to say to us. Because if he gave it to us, every word, then we need to be ready to hear every word. And we worship our God as we see in this beautiful image of praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we see the authority and worship of the Lamb. In verse 7, we are told, and the, the, the lion, the Lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The Father is handing off authority to the Son. It's what Paul promised in 1 Corinthians. It would happen that the authority would be given to the Son and then everything would be put under His feet and handed over. And as a result then, as we're starting to get a glimpse of the eternal plan within the Trinity start to take place, all of heaven bows down and worships, which is the appropriate response to God. Think of the expectation that is building. Just a few verses before, John was weeping. No one's going to be able to read the plan. We're not going to be able to understand what's going on. But now, the plan is being passed off. The expectation, the excitement is building. And as a result, heaven just explodes in joy and bows down and worships. 
I hope when we have a deeper understanding of the things of God, that would be our response as well. Wow, God, you are good. You have the mention of the harp, which was used in temple worship, used for singing of psalms, symbolic here that there is worship that is going on, there is music going on in the presence of God. We have the golden bowls of incense. Incense were also part of the temple offerings that were poured out in the holy place when offerings were made to God. And what is in these golden bowls of heaven? The prayers of the saints. And think of the original audience who would have received this message. They would have experienced rejection, being despised, being hated, being mocked, being persecuted. And that is what happens to many believers on earth. They may be despised and mocked and imprisoned and ridiculed. But in heaven, their prayers are seen as a sacrifice to the Lord as they are poured out in His presence. Don't ever think that your prayers do not matter in heaven. They may be despised by men here on earth, but they become part of a praise offering in heaven as there is worship that goes on around the throne of God with all the members of the Trinity that are to be involved. When God invites you to pray, it's because He knows that it will build your trust in Him so that He can show you that He is able, but it will result in offerings being poured out at His heavenly altar. And it is part of what is involved in the, as the angelic realms themselves are involved in worshiping God. The worthy one is found, and worthy is the Lamb. Now notice there's a, there's a collective here. There's all of these people here. There's the four living creatures. There's the 24 elders. And we get to verse 9. And what does it say? It says, and they sang a new song. The throngs of heaven including the heavenly beings, are singing to the Lord because heaven will be a perpetual praise concert to his name. God has created, all that God has created will be involved in singing his praises one day. And so we who are created in his image and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb sing here to get ready to sing there. And what do they sing and praise God for? They praise him for a great ransom. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. What would be this new song? Well, anytime God shows us something new in his plan of redemption and deliverance of his people, the Psalms and the prophets talk about a new song that is sung to the Lord. Worthy are you, they cry out, Lamb of God, to take the scroll and open its seals. Why is it that he is worthy here when no one was found worthy in verse 2? It's because of the great redemption he has procured. He is worthy to be worshipped because he is the redeemer. You are worthy to open its seals for you were slain. You died. You conquered through your death. And something happened in conquering through your death and your resurrection. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. By your blood is just way of saying all of his life and his death and his suffering and his resurrection by the completeness of your life. You ransomed people for God. You purchased them. You bought them. This is a marketplace exchange that is going on. It's something that the lamb did. You purchased. And what did you purchase, O lamb of God? You purchased people. 
This is definite. This is intentional. This is the planned word of God. The Lamb of God purchased people. He did not purchase a plan. He did not purchase a possibility. You ransomed people. And now when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know their name, and they come to me. We understand that it was because he was involved in purchasing people for God. And therefore, your name, if you are in Christ, is written in that decree that was in the throne room of God in his right hand. That Jesus Christ, through his blood, would purchase you. And he captured, or he ransomed people from, the Greek word is ek, and how it's often used is that it is taking a subset out of a larger set. You purchase people from each tribe, each language, each nation, each people. And if we find ourselves as the ransomed of the Lamb, no wonder for all eternity we will pour out our praises because we know it was nothing good in us that drew his attention. It was his great love for us that purchased us and set us apart and now is conforming us to his image to glorify him forever. It's captured well. An old hymn of the church, the church's one foundation. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. This is all of divine initiative what's going on here. Because he alone is worthy to be praised. Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he did. He ransomed them from every tribe and nation and language and kindred. Not only do they worship him for a great ransom, they worship him for a great reign. Verse 10 says, And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And notice then it's, it, the, the attention is all given to what Jesus has done. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You died, you ransomed, you made. The church is all God's idea in Christ. And nothing will prevail against his church. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing shall prevail. Because he's the one that purchased and redeemed and set apart the church for himself. Then the elders are... That the elders are angelic beings, I think, is made clear in verse 10, where they speak of the church, of the redeemed, as an entity separate from themselves. They say, you made them a kingdom, and you made them to be priests, and they shall reign on the earth. I think the, the elders are to be seen in angelic realm who somehow represent the church, but should not be confused with her. And where will these redeemed reign they will reign on the earth in the new heavens and the new earth. If you want to read ahead to chapters 21 and 21 and 22, you can hear the rest of the story where we will be reigning forever with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth because Christ will redeem all that was lost in Adam, including creation as it will be renewed in the new heavens and the new earth. 
worthy is the Lamb. So we've gone from weeping because God's plan will not be revealed to great rejoicing because it is being revealed. And then it expands into heavenly worship of the Lord. And we see in these last couple of verses two hymns, but we'll just combine them into one major point. We'll see that there's a growing crescendo. This heavenly choir now is getting bigger and bigger. As John looks around, he sees the four living creatures and the elders now joined with, quote, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. The greater angelic realm now is joining in with the four living creatures and the elders, and myriad was the largest number they had in New Testament Greek. It would be like us saying billions and billions today. It's not meant to give an exact number. It's meant to show just the magnitude, the fact that it's just this expansive number. So this group of angels are joining in, and what do they affirm as they they, they gather together? They affirm what has already been said in verse 9, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We see that in verse 12. See how this song phrase is just continuing and it's building. And this lamb is to be given a sevenfold blessing power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. We could spend a whole sermon just teasing out what those seven things are and what difference they should make in our daily lives and our worship of God because this is what Jesus is worthy of. But John is trying to describe what he is seeing, and he's overwhelmed. Stretching the vocabulary, as I've said, with the known language of the day to try to describe what he is seeing. But he sees a growing crescendo of praise. And it it ends with, let all creation worship him. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying... Now all of creation is joining into the crescendo. And so we repeat, how do we see it built? First, there were four. Chapter four, four, there were four living creatures. Then there were the 24 elders. Then they joined together, there were the 28. And then there were the myriads upon myriads of angels. And now it is every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. As one commentator says, the praise of the entire created order is addressed to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this worship is given to God in the fullness of his majesty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sing it in our praise chorus, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And notice this is not a one-time thing. This goes on forever and ever and ever. The worship and praise of God will never end. How could it? When you're worshiping an eternal being, who does all things well, who holds all things together and is worthy of eternal worship, my friends, heaven will not be boring. It'll be the most exhilarating thing you have ever felt. And when you've been there 10,000 times, 10,000 years, you'll say, wow, I got a good thing going and I'm so glad I'm here. Because just think of what you will praise God for with eyes that finally see. Wow. How many times did you deliver me in my own life when I was a stinking rebel? How many times did you answer my prayers? 
How many times did you come to my aid? How many times did you use me in the lives of other people? And imagine taking a time in this wonderful heavenly family tree to tease it all together. How did he do it? Oh, friends, we're going to have a great time. And I hope you're getting ready now. Because we'll be praising him fully there. So as this passage concludes, we find the four living creatures then. Now they bow down. They began this ongoing symbol of praise over five hymns. And they fall down. They worship the Lord in adoration and praise and declaration, affirmation and exaltation. And as they hear about what the Lamb has done who is worthy, who died and redeemed the people for God, they cry out. That he will be praised for all eternity. And friends, it's the same for us today. Whenever we hear about something that Christ has done, we should be the first to shout with praise, to give thanks, even to bow down if necessary, because who else can we bow down before? He alone is worthy of all worship forever and ever. So as we come to the end, of our series on Christmas praises that we see spans from eternity past to eternity future. The, the lamb that was predicted, the son of Bethlehem, the son of David predicted from eternity past and then hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. It continues on with what we have to look forward to and the new heavens and the new earth wherever, where, where praise will continue forever and ever and ever. So I want to conclude our time by reading a poem called Mary Had Her Little Lamb. It summarizes so well. It's written by Marv and Marbet Rosenthal. And it summarizes Christmas praises from the past to the future. Mary had the little lamb who lived before his birth, self-existent son of God from heaven who came to earth. Mary had the little lamb. See him in yonder stall. Virgin-born Son of God to save man from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient Son of God. Everywhere the Father led, His feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb, crucified on the tree. The rejected Son of God, He died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb, men placed Him in the grave, thinking they were done with Him. To death, He was no slave. Mary had the little lamb, ascended now as he. All work on earth is ended, our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb, mystery to behold. From the lamb of Calvary, a lion will unfold. When the day star comes again, of this be very sure. It won't be lamb-like silence, but with the lion's roar. And In Revelation 5, Jesus is praised for what he accomplished on earth. You died, you conquered, you purchased, you made. And this shows that Christmas praises are not just for the birth of Jesus. His birth is connected to his life and death and resurrection and ascension and a throne in heaven. And so the, the crash had to lead to the cross, which led to the crown. They cannot be separated. And so here's what I want us to take into 2022. In your own life, do not make Jesus too small. Heaven certainly doesn't. And neither should we here on earth. He is worthy of all worship 
and praise because he's exalted over all for all eternity. And the Christmas praise that started with his birth will continue forever. Let that be our goal in this new year. Don't make Jesus too small. Continue to magnify him in your own life and let him be seen in all of his glory and grandeur that you might proclaim him to a world that desperately needs to hear about him. And we desperately need to cling to him every day. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. as we conclude our final service of 2021 uh, let's stand and worship the lamb by singing salvation belongs to our God salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb praise and glory wisdom and thanks honor and power and praise be to our God forever and ever be to our God forever and ever be to our God forever and ever Amen and we the redeemed shall be strong in purpose and unity declaring aloud Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. our God forever and ever be to our God forever and ever be to our God
Remember, next Sunday, our service will be at 9 a.m. If you'd like to have the reading schedule, it's out there in the foyer at the welcome desk. Please pick one up as you are going out. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us go in peace and have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you.